This is Science Friday. I'm Charles Bergquist. And I'm Flora Lichtman. How do you cope with the grief of losing a partner? Astronomer Michelle Thaler faced this much earlier than she hoped. Her husband, astronomer Andrew Booth, died from cancer at the age of 64 in 2020. I know Michelle pretty well. She's a friend of mine. I met her almost 10 years ago for a story I was reporting. She told me her husband, Andrew, knew me from my work on Science Friday. He was a big fan of this show. I got to know Andrew, too. He was unusually wonderful, just like Michelle. And when he was diagnosed, it was a shock. I saw Michelle look for solace in the universe. That's what we're talking about today. Michelle joins me to talk about astrophysics and grief and why we should take space and time with a grain of salt. Dr. Michelle Thaler is an astronomer at NASA based in Greenbelt, Maryland. Welcome back to Science Friday, Michelle. Oh, it's great to be here, Flora. I, I, I just I absolutely love that intro, too. <laughs> Wonderful. I'm so glad. I think we should start with Andrew. Tell us about Andrew. When did you meet? And give us a sense of him. Yeah. I had the privilege of being married to um, an, an absolutely astounding person. Andrew Booth was an astrophysicist. Uh, he was from England. And um, when I was doing my doctoral research, I was having to observe objects in the southern sky. You know, there, there are some stars that are much easier to see when you're in the southern hemisphere, some you actually can't see from the north. And, uh, and so I was spending a lot of time you know, wherever I could get telescope time as a graduate student in the southern hemisphere. And the, uh, uh, the Australian telescopes had some good opportunities. And so I had applied for time on telescopes in Australia and, and, and gotten it. And Andrew was a professor at the University of Sydney. And uh, we had uh, a, a common friend. I didn't know Andrew, but I had a, a friend who was an astronomer from Australia who used to be one of Andrew's uh, students, one of his graduate students. And so this person basically called Andrew and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm sending down now one of my graduate student friends. And, uh, you know, would you be able to meet them at the airport, get them settled in Sydney, you know, before they move in, into the interior to go to the telescopes? Andrew said, absolutely not. You know, you, you, you guys are always calling on me to do this because I live near the airport and I'm, I'm <laughs> sick of picking up graduate students at the airport. Uh, but my my friend said, you know, come on, kind of kind of twisted his arm. And I think you'll enjoy meeting this person. I had just been on my first Trans-Pacific flight, kind of holding my eyes open, you know, very, uh, very groggy. <laughs> uh, and I still remember this this kind of beautiful man walking around the airport. It was love at first sight for both of us. Really? Yes, it, it does happen. <laughs> and uh, we were together for 25 years. When was Andrew diagnosed with cancer? Andrew was diagnosed with cancer. It was November 11th. It's amazing how that date just kind of stays in my head. November 11th, 2019. Um, we were we were just starting to wonder if there was going to be some kind of uh, health emergency. At the time, we uh, we didn't realize at all what the scale of COVID would be. It unfortunately was what everybody fears. And he was watching a football game and he said, you know, I, I just feel a little tingly in my head. You know, one, one side of my face just feels kind of numb. And he said, you know, I, th I think it's nothing. You know, I I don't think this is anything that you know I need to worry about. And I just said, let's let's just go to make sure. You know, let me just drive you to the emergency room. Let let's just see. And uh, it was uh, it was it was it was on the weekend. It was during a day, and uh, I I dropped him off, and and then I said, oh, he, I'm going to go pick up some groceries for us later. And I actually went to the grocery store, 
And then, you know, when I came back and I finally picked up Andrew, you know, he's coming out with a strange you know, look on his face, of course, and said, you know, well, so they did an MRI to, to make sure that it wasn't a stroke happening. And, you know, I, I, at this point, I kind of forget the exact words, but the, the, the phrase I remember is, is tumors too numerous to count mm. in, his, uh, in his brain. And he, he never felt better from that moment. He never recovered. And he, mm. despite uh, two rounds of chemo and two experimental treatments at the National Institutes of Health, uh, you know, immunotherapy, all of that, uh, he, was, he was gone in, in nine months from that time. In that period... Do you feel like your relationship with the universe was tested? I mean, I know this is a cliche, but did you find yourself sort of turning to the universe and asking why? You know, it's funny. I We never really asked the question why, because as, as two scientists that were not religious people, um, we, we, were, we were well aware and, and even kind of in, in some ways, deeply accepting of the idea that these things just happen. You know, I mean, cancer is just a bit of your own DNA that goes haywire. You know, so, I mean, sometimes because, you know, a chemical is in your body that causes mutations, like if you smoke, you know, or, or I mean, you could just be hit by a cosmic ray. I mean, I mean quite literally, there, there are high energy particles from space that hit our DNA and, and can cause it to reproduce wrong. And it wasn't so much a question of why, but... That he had a type of cancer that just really isn't treatable. Uh, he had uh, he had he had small cell car- carcinoma for for those of you that are cancer fans. So uh, you know it uh, there really wasn't anything we could do except try to slow it, and it it just didn't slow. And so the there were two things that happened. One was I felt this isolation from the world. I mean, I, I the phrase was in my head that this. This didn't feel like my planet anymore. Everything felt removed. You know, I felt sort of like a, a ghost in the planet. It, it, I, I just wasn't connecting to, you know, to, to anything. It was a very, very, I'd never felt anything like that. And the other one was this realization that the, the time we had left, no matter how unpleasant and you know, and 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 painful it might be. This was time we would never get back. You know, this was this was time together that we still had. And we approached every part of the cancer treatment and the consequences of the cancer treatment as a team, and with as much humor and and love as we could. So you know, I th- there wasn't a lot of fighting for us in terms of you know why is this happening to us. You know, this is so unfair because, I mean, this this is something that is a natural part of the universe. I mean, we, we're such complicated beings, our bodies, you know, and, and we, we just sort of hold together barely, you know, chemically. <laughs> it's amazing. We, we live as long as we do because all these molecules can reproduce in the wrong way or, you know, some little chemical can go wrong. And, uh, you know, that's that's what we're up against. Did you turn to your knowledge of astrophysics as as a source of solace? Yes. And, you know, this this was something that we absolutely shared. And so that was, you know, one of the things that made the partnership so so good is being professional astrophysicists. You know, we were both astounded by the beauty of the universe. We we felt awe. Um 
we we felt so privileged and so lucky to spend our lives immersed in that idea. I mean, you know, being an astronomer working at, at NASA, I mean, 80% of it is the same as most other jobs. So you've got a lot of meetings and budgets and paperwork. And, you know, that's that's what we spend most of our time on. But then, you know, there is like, like 20% just absolute fantastic joy, the joy of discovery, or Andrew could make instruments work that really shouldn't have been able to work. I mean, I mean, he was just a wizard when it came to working with light and, and the quantum mechanical properties of light. He, he did stuff that basically proved, I mean, I'll use that word, that, you know, that, that space and time are certainly not as, as, as simple as we perceive. I mean, I mean, it's, it's always a hard thing to think about because it's not that our perception of space and time is an illusion, but it's not complete. Mm. And Andrew's instruments, uh, these were optical interferometers, they, they really only worked if, if space and time don't really match our perception. He, he hmm. was one of the world's leaders in teasing particles of light to appear in many different places at the same time. And, and then in, in that technique that we call interferometry, um, you can then sort of trick many different telescopes all around the world to think that they're one big telescope. They all have to catch the same particle of light at the same time, literally the same particle. So this is where like my brain is just like, <laughs> I know. Well, so, so this is the thing. So, you know, the, the, the crazy thing is it works. It's an experimental result. And Andrew's telescopes would actually pick the same particle. And I, I, I mean that. I mean, I mean, just think about a star that's, say, thousands of light years away. You know, that, 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 that light has been traveling for thousands of years. It hits Andrew's telescopes, <laughs> plural. <laughs> and he set them so accurately to uh, more accurate than a billionth of a meter. And he's able to tease the light out into appearing in different positions in space and time all at once, that same particle. That's really what's happening. And and until you catch the same particle, like if you catch the particle that was emitted by the star a millionth of a second later, the instrument doesn't work. But if you catch the same particle in all those telescopes, bang, it works. And, and you can actually get incredibly high-resolution measurements of the sky. So Andrew and I knew, and I loved how you put it in the introduction, you take space and time with a grain of salt. Space and time has a reality that we don't experience. When you look at death as a scientist and, and you look at human brains, you know, it's pretty obvious what happens. I mean, this is all around us every day. You know, biologically active beings they decay. You know, our neurons stop carrying electrical current. Our memories have no way to be stored. You know, the, the, that's it for us, I think. As, you know, but the question is, how much do we really understand space and time? And a lot of scientists wonder, and this goes back to Einstein, this is nothing new, that the universe may be some kind of a whole thing space and time and perhaps different versions of space and time all existing at once. And we don't know that. But what we do know is it's not as simple as we perceive. You know, if anybody knew that, it was Andrew. His instruments didn't work if space and time were as simple as that. 
So what we would say to each other is that, you know, I'm still with Andrew, but in the in the part of the universe I, I call the past. Hmm. And there may even be different versions of the universe. I don't know that. But if the universe could possibly be some kind of whole thing, then we kept saying to each other over and over, when the universe began, I was right here holding your hand. And when the universe ends, whatever that means, uh, I'm, I'm still right here holding your hand. And incredibly, that could be literally true. You know, it, it could be that all, all points in space and time exist as much as any other point. You know, our, I'm, al I'm already dead. I've been dead for billions of years. You know, the, the, the sun hasn't formed yet. You know, Andrew and I are still enjoying our, you know, our wedding in the castle. You know, all of that happens in some kind of a big now that our, our brains filter. Our brains just can't perceive and, you know, that's an interesting idea. I don't know if it's, that's literally true, but that's how we decided to, uh, to try to understand life and death. I'm Flora Lichtman, and this is Science Friday from WNYC Studios. There are still so many unsolved mysteries of the universe. Does that give you peace or is that stressful for you? Oh, you know, it's funny. I love it. <laughs> you know, I there's so many things that we do know. I think people forget about that. You know, the idea, for example, that our atoms come from the stars, uh, that the universe, well, at the very least, you can say the universe used to be a lot hotter and denser than it is now. That that much is established observational fact. We can take pictures of that. You know, that's that's not anything that uh you know, the universe has changed. You know, do we do we know exactly how the Big Bang worked yet? No, I, I doubt it. I mean, but the, the evidence that the universe was once very different, the the very very strong evidence that space and time are are not just the way we perceive them. Um, this 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 both thrills me and makes me feel peaceful. So it's it's a it's a neat feeling. I've got got to we should think of a word for that one. It's it's both peaceful and thrilling. It's a vulnerable feeling. You know, I mean, I, I don't think the universe, in a sense, you know, cares for us individually or has any sense of, you know, human morality, uh, you know, or, or fairness. But it's a beautiful system, incredible, complex, the, the scale of, of the galaxy we belong to, you know, the cycles of, you know, creating elements, the, you know, the, 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 the trajectory of the universe from some sort of hot state to maybe a very cold state, you know, in, in the end. Um, but then also the grain of salt that you talked about, you know, I mean, not just the grain of salt that that, you know, OK, space and time are more than we perceive, but also the grain of salt that maybe anything that we we know will someday be called into question or looked at from a different perspective. You know, I um. When you think about how the universe seems to have this this change from a big bang to perhaps a very large cold thing, you know, I'm always reminded of uh, I, when I was taking physics. One of my professors said, you know, it, it's possible. It's again, it's all just one big thing that we're looking at from different perspectives, and that's what we call time or what we call space. You know, if you the, the example was if you watch an elephant walk by and you're looking out at a tiny little slat of a window where you can only see a little strip of the elephant at once, you know, you've got the uh, first thing you see is the trunk coming by and then that gets bigger, you know, and bigger. And, oh, there's its ear and its leg. And now there's this big body. And, 
and then it just walks by, you're down to this little tiny tail again. And you can come up with a system of physics where the trunk causes the tail. Right, right. But, but it doesn't. <laughs> yeah. It's not. It, it, it's, it's, it's all one whole thing. And the implication he was saying is, is, is that that may be what the universe is, a whole thing. You know, one event even doesn't cause another. You know, we perceive little slices at a time and, and think of it as yeah. causality, mm. space and time. And it may be much deeper than that and much larger than that. And, you know, even wonderful and horrible events in life are, are just a shape of something that we're, we're almost kind of seeing the shadow of. You know, we, we, we don't see the whole thing. Michelle, I feel so privileged to know you and to have gotten the opportunity to talk to you today. Thank you. It's wonderful. And thank you for asking the question, Flora. Dr. Michelle Thaller is an astronomer at NASA based in Greenbelt, Maryland.